coming up. What an excellent day for uncles. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 38 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Karis's uncle saying, Miss. And it ends with Karis in the middle of a flock of poor lost souls. Mm, yep. And we're back to being sad again, folks. Here we're here we to make again. you sad. Yeah. <laughs> <Folks know. laughs> yes. We don't want to deal with this alone. We're, dry, we're, we're taking you with us. Um, yeah. But no, these are the hardest minutes for us to talk about. Um, but let's see what we can find in these minutes. Um, first thing that comes to mind for me is how... Remember in the last minute, we talked about the, the harrowing of hell, where Jesus came down to hell to free everyone. Um, that theme continues on into this minute as they stop at this checkpoint, right? Literally this gate that separates them from the deeper part of this prison. Karis's uncle is talking to the nurse. Um, they want to see Mary Karis. And Damien, Dimmy, has walked ahead a little bit to stand at the window at the bars of this gate and to look in. And we cut to the nurse as she reaches up to grab literally what looks like this ancient ring of keys mm -hmm. uh, straight out of like Dante's Inferno or or maybe like um, Milton's Paradise Lost or something. It, it um, looks like the kind of thing you'd get in uh, Robin Hood days. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you're, trying to, you're trying to get this, this, oh, that's the set of keys to get Maid Marian out of the prison cell. Exactly, precisely, right? Um, and you, you hook up a little pulley system. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so she then signs them in and we cut to Karis wide-eyed. But he's not shocked. I, I don't know what you would call this emotion. Um, he's in shock, maybe. His mm. eyes are big. They're, they're taking it all in. And it struck me this time around, uh, this expression he has. Remember before, folks, we were talking about um, whenever the feelings are coming really strong, Karis has this mask that he wears, right? right? This, this sort of hard, stone-faced, uh, serious mask that he puts on during these like really emotional moments. Um, we saw it when he was walking down the street to his mother's apartment. We saw it when he was leaving her home, walking through the rooms, turning off all the lights. We even, we even saw it when we first really meet him uh, on that subway platform, right? It's this mask that he's fashioned to protect himself from these heavy emotions, emotions which perhaps he thinks if he allowed himself to feel them fully, he would be burnt up by their sheer uh, ferocity, right? Yeah. I've caught myself, I used to think of myself as a very cold person, and I suppose mm. I, I still do. But I, I, I used to, uh, like when I was running a Target, I was assistant uh -huh. manager at a Target, and sometimes you would sort of rotate, and sometimes you'd be running the whole store, and there'd be like chaotic things, like the power going off in a right. gigantic store like a Target, you know? <laughs> and I, I, I'd put on this, you know, this mask like this, right? This this yeah. thing that maybe a very, I think a very good um, crisis manager at a place like that. You'd have someone have a seizure in the middle of the floor, you know, you had to figure that those things out. And then I... Um, then I would realize that I was doing the same thing in my personal life, you know, during mm. arguments or discussions with your partner or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And, right. um, and they go, oh, that's not as helpful here. Mm -hmm. So like we can we can put this mask on for uh, crises mm -hmm. uh, coming from the outside. But like also we, we have a habit of uh, putting them on like 
if if we're in our own crisis, right? Yes, yeah. So it got to be the point where I would realize I was. I, you could feel yourself doing it, right? You're like, mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. gosh, this is not helpful. This is not helpful. But I don't know how to get out of this. You know, how, to, <laughs> how to how to lower this uh, this um, uh, colossus, or uh, I mean, colossus like the X Man. <laughs> like the metal yeah. colossus he, he gets colossus up it's like oh that's not helpful here when i'm talking to my to my girlfriend yeah right right, right. yeah like our feelings like they're you know um if, if we're familiar and they're habitual right like yeah it's very very hard to break those those habits right um but yeah it, it uh it makes me think about uh so these strong feelings that karis is having right it makes me think about the line uh about chris from the book where Blatty says she could not repress the full flood of her love. And here, up to this point, we've had Karis doing the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to repress it because he knows if he lets it flow, he's going to be swept away, um, which is such a weird thing to think because isn't that what we decided the problem was for Karis in the first place? He's he's worried that he doesn't feel these strong emotions. He's worried that he can't feel that love, that connection with the homeless man or, or with his mother, or later we're going to see when he prays. Um, um, that's his big thing. He thinks he's a bad priest, a bad person for not feeling anything. But folks, listeners, look at him now. Look at him now as he looks through this uh, chicken wire. Um, right. Look at this face. As Look at his eyes as and, and tell me he's not feeling some things right now. That mm. mask... Yeah, that mask is beginning to crack. Well, maybe that's the filmmakers. Again, you're talking about the magic trick that filmmaking does through the editing. And uh, is he thinking any of those things, Lester? Or are you just oh. projecting upon him? <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, folks, in, in the last episode, we did talk about like right that magic trick of, of like projection onto – maybe I'm doing that right now. Oh, <laughs> isn't, he just, isn't he just looking at stuff? <laughs> he, could be, he could just be looking at stuff, right? No, but that's – again, that's the, that's the great power of film acting. And, yeah. Um, Sometimes you just have to look and think and listen, and then that, that's all it takes. Um, yeah. I was thinking about um, Frances McDormand. I don't know if you've seen some of her later movies where she's um, won her Oscars. Like, um, But the um, you know Frances McDormand has won an Oscar for Fargo, which is one of my favorite performances. It's very uh-huh. verbal. And then she wins another Oscar for Three Billboards Outside of Evan, Missouri, which is another very verbal performance. And then she won her third Oscar for Nomadland. And it's such a different performance because in there – yeah. She doesn't speak a lot. She's just thinking and listening. And mostly it's these other people coming to her and listening. And she wins yeah. her third Oscar for there. And it's just like you're, you're thinking about everything that she's thinking, but she doesn't get a chance to say any of it. Hmm. So, yeah, Karis here is just just looking at these things and we're just yeah. responding like, oh, God, all the things he must be feeling and all the things right. he must be thinking. Oh, my gosh, you are exactly right. Yeah, it, like I am I, like I already have this kind of like um, internalized uh, idea of what Karis must be mm-hmm. feeling. And yeah, it like all we got to do is is uh, put that uh, put Karis's face right there on that camera and mm-hmm. we can we can empathize. Right. And so at least the, the way that I'm seeing it, folks, um, that mask that Karis usually has is beginning to crack and we're seeing the beginnings of some really strong emotions mm-hmm. and th- this made me realize something keenan i never thought about this until now and that's wild to think right i know this story i read the book every halloween i've seen this movie but this minute by minute examination is forcing me to look even deeper to like dig even deeper <laughs> and and each time we do this, I find another little metaphorical Joseph medallion, right? <laughs> um, or sometimes a Pazuzu amulet that, Uh-oh. you know, that was buried and I didn't know about it, even even if it was hiding in plain sight. Um, and here, I think I've uncovered something more about Karis's problem. His problem of thinking he doesn't feel enough. And I'm looking at this guy through this chicken wire as his mask is starting to crack. And now I'm thinking, oh, buddy, 
It's not that you don't feel enough. It's that you feel too much. That mask is a conscious thing you put up. It's a blockage. It's a dam to hold back uh, what are actually some really strong emotions, right? Mm -hmm. This whole time, I thought his problem was that he felt bad for not having these feelings. And now I'm seeing that that maybe what's really happening, you know, whether he's conscious of it or not, or whether I'm projecting this, uh, you know, onto this character or not, mm -hmm. is that he's afraid of the strength of his own feelings, right? He's absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely, right? So it might be what that strength is, depending on how you interpret the end of the film. It might be the strength of his his faith is too strong, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so strong that it, it destroys, you know, however you're going to, um, right. uh, however you're going to interpret that as a positive way or whatever, but he has all this strength he doesn't recognize. Um, he thinks of himself, what, as this, this person who's strong as a boxer, as an athlete, but strong, right. but not strong enough in his heart. And he realizes how, how strong all of that really is. Right, right. So from Karis's face, we then cut to uh, a heartbreaking series of images of Keenan. These are actors, right? They are certainly actors. Okay. Yes. Okay. There's good, one of good. these ladies who I recognize, and I can't quite place where I recognize. Oh, I just realized where it's from, and I need oh. to double check. Okay, okay. <laughs> I need to double check where she's okay, from. Okay. Uh, but the second lady that he looks at, there's a blonde lady first, and then a, a brunette lady. Right. Okay. I believe I know where this lady is from. I think Ooh. that she is from Annie Hall. Oh, I think that this is uh, Woody Allen's uh, mother from Annie Hall. Oh, <laughs> I will okay. double check that <laughs> while we're okay. looking. But yes, not real people. I don't believe. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> because Keenan and folks, knowing Friedkin, <laughs> knowing his propensity to use real people in his movies, like knowing his obsession to fly all the way out to Iraq to film a real dig that was already going on. And yeah, folks, I'm watching this, uh, this new documentary, uh, uh, leap of faith, um, about the, you know, the exorcist and it's a common, you know, uh, um, Friedkin is doing a commentary about, uh, the filming and apparently that dig in the beginning, remember all those minutes ago, mm -hmm. that was real or, or right. parts of it were real and Friedkin just showed up and he started filming according, you know, to this new documentary, knowing all that. I was really hoping you were going to say, no, Lester, these are all actors. Friedkin did not go into <laughs> Bellevue Hospital and start filming random patients. I uh, believe so. So okay. I, I, I believe that this woman in the second, the second patient, the brunette, is, is an actor. But okay. oh, goodness, I, now I don't know. <laughs> but she certainly looks a lot like the woman who plays Albie's mother in Annie Hall. <laughs> but okay. I, I don't see that as being confirmed. But I'll, okay. I'll share a link with you later and, and see okay. if you, would, you agree with me. Yeah. And, and we will like, like once, once we are um, fully educated, we will, we will update you guys. Um, <laughs> or if you know, if you, if you happen to know, um, uh, you know, uh, who these people are, <laughs> um, you know, uh, please let us know. Um, but yeah, it, it, like who, yeah. It, if they are actors, they are really good at making me feel really bad. Oh, good. That's what we need. That's what Friedkin's like, like in the casting call. He's like, what yeah. I really need you to do here, ladies, yeah. is to make people feel real bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this made me realize something as well. Um, this is a little, this is another uh, little discovery that I, I never had until now. This is another little artifact, although I think this one is a Pazuzu. Um, and and oh, how to say it without sounding... Heartless or insensitive? I'm I'm going to try to speak my honest thought here. Great, but I think now I understand better why ghosts scare me. Um, 
and it took these shots, these lingering shots of these poor women, for it to make sense in my mind. Um, remember I said, like, in the Halloween episode that, like, my biggest fear is ghosts, um, but it's less about what they would do to me and more about what they are or what they have become and how it's because they're not scary but more just lost that really hits me. There's a kinship we have with uh, ghosts more than other monsters, right? Because they were once just like you. And so the feeling we have about ghosts is this unique uh, mixture of fear and empathy that I that I don't get with like other monsters. Ghosts themselves aren't scary. Whatever happened to them is scary or, or what is happening to them, right? Seeing a fellow human being, seeing someone who was once just like you, seeing them changed in this way, they're literally shades of their former self and how horribly sad that, you know, and, and terrifying that is, right? Um, psychologists say like fear of ghosts has to do with like death uh, anxiety, um, you know, death anxiety, uh, being afraid of death, right? Uh, death is is the great equalizer. It comes to us all and, and, it, and it will, right? It can happen to us. It will happen to us. It'll happen to our mothers, our fathers, our wives, our husbands. It's, it's the thing we all have in common, right? And so psychologists say, oh, ghosts are scary because they're a reminder of that. But I want to make a correction to that. Um, uh, I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not you know anything. So this is just me. But we don't even have to talk about death. Forget death for just a, a second, right? I think ghosts touch a very specific nerve between fear and empathy. Whenever we witness the unfortunate state of a fellow human being, someone who could be our mother, our brother, our uh, uh, ourselves, it's like looking into a mirror. And I'm thinking now of the subway platform where Karis meets uh, the homeless man, Vinnie Russell, right? As sad as that scene is, it has this edge of fear to it. Um, and, and that's specifically because the homeless man is a person, just like Karis. If Karis saw a homeless cat, it was, it'd be a completely different scene, right? With different feelings. Or if you are walking home alone, right? Um, and you're home alone at night. Uh, you're walking home alone at night and you cross under a bridge and there's a man under there and he looks like Vinnie Russell and he's reaching out for help, right? The light of a, uh, a passing car shows his face for a second and you think it's your dad. And of course, you know, we want to believe we'll help him. We'll, we'll help anybody in that situation. We're human beings and we help other human beings. But I think it's because it's another human being, like just like you, there's something about that that gives us the, the shivers versus you're walking down the same street at night. You go under the same bridge. It's dark and you hear meow. <laughs> now my flashlight is on. I'm looking for that cat. I'm taking it home, taking it to the vet. I'm giving it a bath. I'm wrapping it up in a little fleece blanket. No question, no hesitation. There's no fear because, you know, the association is gone. Mm. Right? And it, I don't know. And people, there's a big homeless problem across the country, obviously, right now, homelessness yeah. problem. And uh, I think people are more inclined to help that cat right now. And I'm a big cat. You know, I have four cats. Yeah. So I've taken four, <laughs> four cats into my life. And, um, but I, I have made a little pact with myself to not give money to pet charities or animal charities. Have I told oh. you about this? No, no. It's just that I would, I think it's better, you know, maybe this is um, kind of the hubris about being a human, that it's better to give money to people charities. Mm. And there's, you know, there's always like, I, I caught myself being more willing to give money to to animal charities. Right. And I was like, why is that? Why, why am I more willing to give to a 
pet shelter than a human shelter. Mm, mm, mm. And I, I recognize this. So, you know, you do what you're going to do with your own money and giving to any charity is better than giving to no charity in your own life. Right. But I, I was deciding for myself that like there was something r- kind of wrong with me that I was mm. more more willing to help animals than people. Yeah. And I think I, I think I, I wouldn't necessarily call it wrong. I think I think it's like a natural. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't I don't understand this feeling either. But like, I'm yeah, I I have that same kind of feeling of like if i see a cat in trouble mm-hmm. no hesitation i'm helping right. or a dog or or something like that like if i see an animal in trouble or a child right mm-hmm. like like if i if i see um uh, a child or an animal in trouble i am climbing that tree i am uh fighting that bear mm-hmm. i am uh you know doing whatever and and yeah possibly losing my life but whatever who cares right i'm running out into traffic mm-hmm. uh, you know to to uh save uh that child or that animal but like a person just like me is I, I don't know what Freud would say about that or, or what, you know, like it, yeah. it's, it's so weird, but I think, I, I don't think you're alone in that feeling, Keenan. Yeah. That's um, really interesting though, that, that we're, that it, it scares us more mm-hmm. to recognize that, that them as people even maybe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that's very, very interesting. I have to think about that. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we're all, yeah, I, I gave you guys, um, some homework. We're all going to have a, <laughs> a long think about, uh, about Hard ourselves. conversation with yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, thinking about Karis as he's looking at these people, right? I, I think it's really great. You're talking about that. His, his coverage of his, is him with chicken wire, this, this, um, yeah. pattern, right? Really interesting. So when you look at the shots of what he sees, um, we see these patients, but it's not through this chicken wire. Ah, yeah. It's a different design. So when we see this blonde woman, it's a different, it's more, how do you describe that? Like a diamond shape or something. Yeah, yeah. So his is hexagonal, is that right? Yeah, his yeah. is hexagonal and and hers is more diamond shaped. So a mm-hmm. um, couple things. So are we meant to think that um, that they're both behind different cages, right? It gives this idea that, that there's layers between them. Um, Double cages. Double cages. Yeah. Even more. And, um, you know, there's also the sort of just disconnect between what we see on his side and what we see on her side. Like it's like, it's, it doesn't visually compute for us necessarily. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, these are not, I I believe these are actors. I, I, I can't speak for that. Um, for everybody, I'd love to see that documented, but I do know for a fact that this is not shot at Bellevue hospital for real. Oh, Yes, this is shot at a different place that is on Roosevelt Island. So it's not even on Manhattan. They're sort of going off the coast of Manhattan. It's shot at what was then known as Goldwater Memorial Hospital. So we're not really at Bellevue. Um, I'm not sure about the history of, of how feasible it was to shoot at the real Bellevue. Um, but because of its its place in New York cultural history, we usually right. um, are talking about Bellevue a lot in movies. It, it comes up a whole, whole lot. Um I also have seen that this these scenes with the uncle in the hallway are the first things that we shot in The Exorcist. Right. Yes, I saw that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd love to have more confirmation of that. But this would be the very first thing that we've shot is, yeah. is Damien and the uncle. Which is amazing, like very, very interesting little bit of uh, trivia there. I saw it on the the Amazon X-Ray. I don't know where. Um, oh, okay, great. Where it popped up for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't remember now because <laughs> okay, okay. I'm, well, I'm not that good as a professor. I always, I read things. <laughs> I never write it down. I never outline like you're supposed to and have little <laughs> notes about where you where you discovered the thing. I just hope uh, I remember it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that we got it from multiple sources, right, kind yeah. of like further um, uh, moves it towards uh, possibly being true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oftentimes there's advice. I don't know about wh- how true this was at like studio filmmaking in the 70s, but in mm. indie filmmaking, and, and the, the advice they give you a lot is the first thing that you shoot, if you're able to figure it out, it's something that's very simple, like um, like 
at least in the production wise, the performance wise, they always leave that. Right. Um, but like in the production wise, cause the thought is like, as you're getting the crew together for the first time, you want uh-huh. to succeed very quickly. Yes. Yeah. So you don't want it to be like, Oh God, it's been taking us all day to do this. Right. Like it's a good morale, morale builder to have the very first shot that you film to be something that, Oh, great. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. We're done. Yeah. All right, everybody get Reagan in the bed. We're going to do the exorcism <laughs> scene. Power of Christ compels you. Take yeah, one. Yeah, you hear about some some indie filmmakers and the mistakes they make. Yeah, putting something crazy like that at the beginning um, or something, you know, uh, again, there's good emotional acting here, but it's not something so insane that, um, you know, um, you would expect Jason Miller to do maybe even like a scene with his mother first. That would be right, way right. too hard. Right. So we have yeah, the uncle. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're not asking Jason Miller or Tito's to to like do something uh, like incredibly emotionally um, uh, fraught. Yeah. Right? On the first day with the new basically a new company, like every time that you're making a movie, you're working at a new company, right? With mm-hmm. new coworkers and, uh, and you don't know where the bathroom is. They're not sure if you're getting paid. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. All those things on the very first day. Yeah. And that's something to say. I mean, like, I'm sure, you know, our listeners uh, know about this uh, as well. Right. But um, yeah, like a lot of times, like with films being shot out of order, right? Some of those like really meaningful scenes where it's like, oh, now now these two characters have a history and they've been together for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. That might be shot before that history is established, right? I think that's always useful to remind people of um, that movies are shot out of order. Uh, it's the rare instance, like like I don't know, a few dozen movies that have been shot in order, whereas the rest of the thousands of movies that you've seen are shot out of order. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really useful to remind people of that. I have, I teach film students or beginning filmmakers and, and oftentimes that even if they intellectually know that, right, you have to remind them when they're making films to do that. And you often even hear people who know better, like film critics. There's a, a pet peeve of mine is, um, when in a review, it'll say, the movie the movie loses steam halfway through which happens but they might say uh, as if the filmmakers gave up halfway through which isn't how it works yeah. like you've heard that line all the time yeah right? yeah like oh they were just making it up as they went along at the end they gave up like that's like movies aren't shot in order they're not even written in order right so you know most times screenwriters don't start on page one and end on page 120 they, they right, right that's not how it works but um yeah so even people who know better often fall into that Huh. That trope, yeah. That movies are are not shot in order, or the movies wow. that are shot in order. Sorry, I've 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 heard that complaint many and many a time mm-hmm. before, but it, like it, it not until today did I put it together. I was like, wait, hang on, like <laughs> that's impossible. Like, don't you don't you know how how movies are made? Like, right. yeah, movies are not edited in order. They're not shot in order. They're not written in order. So, wow, ay ay ay, folks, Keenan D is coming coming at us with uh, the. the <laughs> The, these little, these little, um, these, these, uh, information bombs, right? Here. Yeah. Here to blow your minds. Blow your minds. Um, yeah. With, with stuff you already know. With stuff you already know. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so yeah. So, so we have Karis looking through this chicken wire, like we said, right. And he's looking at all these women and again, you know, it's the association or dissociation, right? Like if Karis didn't have his mother in here, how would he be viewing all of these other patients? Mm-hmm. But the fact that his mother is also one of them, right? That that makes this encounter, makes this visitation um, so much more um, emotionally impactful, right? And so much more uh, personal, right? And he's mm-hmm. looking, and we can only, like Keenan said, right? We can only imagine what is going through Karis's mind as he's looking through this window, right? But then um, he is brought out of these thoughts when his uncle says, you know, it's funny. 
and then proceeds to say the least funny thing <laughs> he could possibly say. I love that he I love that line that he says, you know, it's funny. I love it. I'm I'm so glad that's there. That's great. Oh my God. Uncle Tito. <laughs> Uncle Tito's like and, and so he says, right? Um, if you wasn't a priest, you'd be famous psychiatrist now on Park Avenue, and your mother, she'd be living in a penthouse instead of and he indicates this awful scene that Karis is clearly disturbed by. Uh, you got to add a rim shot there because it's funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Jim bump. laughs> he's he, like he, he grabs he grabs Karis's arm. He's like, "It's a joke. It's funny." You know, it's it, fun. like, why why you never laugh no more? <laughs> let, me ex- let, me, let me explain. Let me explain the joke. The joke. You. you did this to her. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you get it? You did it to her, Dimmy. Why you do it to her, Dimmy? Why you do this to her, Dimmy? <laughs> it's funny. Laugh. God, <laughs> I love that. I love that line. I think it's the kind of things again. Uncles yeah. is for <laughs> what are uncles yep. for? <laughs> yeah. So we talk about Burke having no filter. God, yeah, great. Line. This guy, right? Um, <laughs> Blatty yeah, gets it. <laughs> yeah, Blatty gets it. Right. Um, and, and, like I, I know before we were comparing Karis to Rocky, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Uncle Tito, is, Uncle Tito or Titos? Right? Well, the actor's it, name is Titos, so I imagine Titos, Tito, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Uncle Titosh definitely fills in for the Pauly character, uh-huh. don't you think? Uh-huh. Like, just not helpful at all, but at the same time has these random, like, inappropriate reflections. Like um, uh, when in Rocky, <laughs> yeah, in Rocky, when, um, yeah, um, Pauly tells him some terrible news, and then hmm. and then uh, Rocky starts beating up that, that side of ham, or that side yeah, of beef, yeah. and he's, he's just punching in there. Rocky's, like, punching the shit out of this side of beef because he's so mm-hmm. mad at Pauly, and yeah, Pauly yeah. says, you're going to break the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're going to get me in trouble for letting you punch this beef. Yeah, yeah. I would say again, again, going back to I know this isn't the movie we're talking about, but like <laughs> I always saw, I always saw, like because it because it, it's a close up on it on Polly's face, right? right exactly, there, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I always saw like that as like Polly realizing that he fucked up, right? Exactly. I was like, oh, that's he's he's punching the meat because he can't punch me. Yeah, Polly does <laughs> not have uh, a lot of uh, self revelatory moments where he realizes things. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. only like once or twice in the whole movie where you're like, yeah. oh, Polly, you've done it again. Uh, Polly, right? But yeah, so so now we got Uncle Polly here to, you know, <laughs> to Karis' Rocky. Um, whew, yeah, so, but I think this is also a good um, uh, time to talk about this actor. Yeah. Um, so Keenan, Keenan, you know about this this guy. Uh, yeah, a little bit. So this is, um, this actor is Tito Shavandi. Uh, so mm. I, it's T-I-T-O-S. So I think it's Tito in Greek, okay. but I'm not sure. Oh, um okay. Yeah, so this, so that's why we've been calling him Uncle Tito's because he's, mm-hmm. he's we don't have a name for him either in the script or the movie. Yeah, but or so, even in the book, I don't think he's. Oh, named. really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So he is um, he is a Greek actor and he plays in a bunch of American movies, uh, uh, playing Greek characters. It seems like the bridge for him uh, at, coming from Greek film into American film is this movie called Never on Sunday, which we talked about earlier. Actually, when we were talking about ah. subtitles, because that's a movie where yeah, the director who plays the main actor Jules Dassim, he's in Greece and there's no subtitles in the entire movie ah. yeah so they have um so you just have to you know the movie makes clear when you're supposed to know that he's not he doesn't know what's going on or not yeah i guess if you know greek it's just a different movie for you <laughs> yeah, yeah um and then so he's in a bunch of other greek uh movies where he plays a greek man basically like um top copy which is a heist movie but his most famous role huh. um is in a one of the most one of the funniest sketches I've ever seen that I don't mm. know if you've seen. It's from Woody Allen's Everything You Always Want to Know About Sex, We're Afraid to Ask. Huh. Have you seen that movie? Uh, no, no. Okay. So I guess it's not uh, it's not um, 
correct anymore to recommend that you see a Woody Allen film because he's, <laughs> he's been sort of banned. Um, yeah. But you could watch this sketch and there's no Woody Allen in it. It's just directed and written by Woody Allen. There we go. Woody Allen free. <laughs> I found that actually with some students, I think that when Woody Allen is not in the movie, students have are able to, you know, re- to um, get past that a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, he is in this scene from Everything You Always Want to Know About Sex. Mm-hmm. asterisks but we're afraid to ask and mm-hmm. this is a movie that's based on a um that's based on a real nonfiction book mm-hmm. that was like it was something that i read as a kid uh it was sort of um uh sort of uh, aimed at people who yeah in the 1960s who didn't know where to talk to you and they couldn't have these conversations with their doctors so it's a complete nonfiction book that's like what is homosexuality what is masturbation what happens in ejaculation so woody allen adapts this and in um in the sketch so it's a bunch of little sketches that are unrelated to each other um sketch number two is called what is sodomy Ah. And it stars it stars Tito's um, uh, Vondis as this mm-hmm. man who comes into the doctor's office, and the doctor is played by Gene Wilder. Oh, yes. And so, uh, so uh, Tito's comes in and says, "I have this problem. I've fallen in love with a sheep. I'm a Gre- I'm an Armenian, rather uh, shepherd, and I've fallen oh. in love with my sheep, Daisy." And so Gene Wilder is just freaking out. He's like, "I, I." I I can't help you. This is this is beyond my capacity as a general practitioner. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you want to do with this. Uh, and he's no, no, no. I, I've fallen in love with Daisy, my sheep. And the problem is, because it's not a problem that I fall in love with her. The problem is that Daisy, uh-huh. Daisy has fallen out of love with me. <laughs> and so he he brings Daisy in, and I don't know if you know what the I don't know if you know what the um what the twist of this would be. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't, know I'm I excited. Should, I don't know if I should stop there or not. But so that's Tidosha's big scene is he brings in Daisy. And then uh, Gene Wilder is petting Daisy and says, well, this is quite a problem that you fall in love with Daisy. But maybe you should leave Daisy with me. <laughs> oh, I was. OK, can I can I guess? Can I guess? OK, go ahead. OK, before, just for the record, before you started talking about that, I'm like, OK, this is Gene Wilder. Uh-huh. Is, is he going to steal Daisy? He steals Daisy away. <laughs> He's like, I need you to leave Daisy with me, and so I could I could talk to her so that she'll fall in love with you instead. Oh. And so Gene Wilder has the affair with Daisy, um, which is just you know okay, just again, don't don't do this. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's no, 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 awful. No, 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 no. Yeah. But it is I think Bestiality, one of the funniest. No, no. Yeah, I think it's one of the funniest sketches because then you have for the rest of the little short movie, like Gene Wilder taking Daisy out <laughs> and like <laughs> and hiding it from his wife. And it's basically like the whole movie um, as if Gene Wilder is hiding this affair with this, with this other woman, but it's with Daisy right. who he dresses up in little dresses and takes her out to restaurants. Or something like that, you know? <laughs> so, so that's Tito Shavandis' uh, biggest role in a movie. Yeah. For oh, sure. I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now I got to see that. Um, yes, yes, yes. Again, what's the name of that again? Everything you always want to know about sex asterisks, but we're afraid okay. to ask. Okay. I'll, Again, I'll, yeah. If you if you're avoiding Woody Allen movies, I understand that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, maybe maybe I'll, I'll look up that one on YouTube. And, yeah. I'm sure it's there. Right. Because that's, that's our you know, guy. That's the year before The Exorcist. That's where that's where Uncle Tito was. Yeah. Because yeah, Woody Allen aside, I love me some Gene Wilder, yes. and uh, I love I love Tito. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love him now. That's his biggest role. Yeah. And there you got your your good Gene Wilder, prime Gene Wilder post. Um, Post Willy Wonka and before Young Frankenstein and before Blazing Saddles. So. Oh, it's perfect time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Post producers. So he's he's mm. in that, that sweet spot. Excellent. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So um, 
so you know we're we're back with uh, Uncle Tidosh as he is he is he is making this this very very inappropriate reflection um, <laughs> hysterical. hysterical so funny right <laughs> oh my god <laughs> just his his hand on on Karis's shoulder was like like let me explain it to you one more time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this Uncle, is all your fault. <laughs> Uncle Titus, you said it seven times on the walk up <laughs> from the curb. <laughs> yes, yes. But that eighth time, that's when it's going to be a funny. Oh, my God. But, okay, okay. He doesn't have to finish this reflection because the nurse steps in between them and she opens the door. And now we're back to Dante again, where mm-hmm. Karis must go deeper into this hell, right? But his his guide, right? His his Virgil, right? Uncle Titos, in this case, um, says he has to do it alone. Right. And again, that again, isolation, that's one of the themes, right? And so we're back to isolation here, folks. Um, Karis is alone. He is making this final part of this dark journey alone, even as he is surrounded as we see in just a second, he is very much alone. We say goodbye to Uncle Tidosh uh, as the camera moves past him and follows Karis into this final room. The nurse says he will find uh, Mrs. Karis in the last bed on the left, and almost immediately we are set upon by these poor lost souls as they reach out to Karis and it's here that we end our minute with Karis, very much like Christ in the story of the harrowing of hell, right? As he is reaching out to these poor souls, um, is he strong enough to take away their pain? Is he selfless enough to help them? We'll have to wait until the next minute to find out. Um, Keenan, is there anything else? Oh, yeah. I like here how we follow behind uh, Damien as he's going in. And the mm-hmm. nurse there is, it doesn't it feel like she's kind of not sure if she should touch Damien, right? It's like you want to put mm. your your hand on his shoulder, and she's right. not quite sure. Like, what what does this man want or need? Is it appropriate? Right? Um, right. I wonder if she knows. It doesn't seem like it, right? That he she doesn't know he's a he's a doctor as well, right? They've kept that from from them. right. Um, I what do you think about that? Like, is he? Are they keeping it from from like like, like this is my nephew? He's a doctor, you know. Mm-hmm. Like like is that going to cause problems as they go into this uh, this ward? Oh, I wonder, right? Um, so we're talking about like the conscious decision uh, that Uncle Tidosh does not mention that he's a doctor. Right. Because think about that, right? Like you go, when you visit a school, right? Mm-hmm. If you visit someone else's school, do you tell them, like you decide whether you say, oh, I'm a teacher too or not. Because sometimes right. you don't want to be known as a teacher in another school, right? Another school, right? Because yeah. your interaction with the um, the people in that place, right. depending on the place and depending on, you know, uh, uh, like your job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it could be very different depending on like whether that, whether or not they know that you are, um, you know, a, a doctor or a teacher right. or something. Yeah. Like when you meet, a, when you see another comedian set, <laughs> and you tell them, oh, I'm a comedian too. <laughs> I'm a comedian too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like my, uh, my uncle Tito taught me everything I knew about yeah, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to 10 minutes later and you're up there. It's like, I killed my mother. Right. Which is funny because is I'm funny. a doctor. Yes. <laughs> and everyone is just dead silent. And then in the back, Uncle Tito, she's like. Right. I should have known better. It's my fault. 
It's just Uncle Tito's and Pazuzu. They're like, yeah, yeah. Right. But so they haven't told the people here and they, they're not going to tell the other patients, right? I'm a doctor. Right. I'm a psychiatrist, right? Because that might spook them or it might make them do what ends up happening anyways, where they come and see him as their savior, right? Oh, right. this is the doctor. He's going to be better than the doctor I have. I need to talk to him, right? He's going to yeah. give me some second opinion. Yeah. Right. So we follow behind and the nurse is like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know what to do. You're a priest. Do I touch you? Do I not touch you? And he doesn't say like, oh, I, you know, I have my bag here to give medicine if I need to. Right, right. And I mean, I, I kind of like, I didn't even, thank you for bringing these up. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't even think about like them. It must have been a conscious thing to, mm-hmm. to not mention that he's a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought like, like if I had to really think about it, I would think I was like, well, he's coming to see his mother. Right. So that's like, like his being the son or a son to this lady is is like the at the forefront it's the most important thing like mm-hmm. that is the relationship that i am bringing into this room um to 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 see this person maybe that's why like they didn't mention doctor they didn't they didn't even mention priest mm-hmm. right but like he's he dressed, dressed as a priest, priest right yeah um so he's he's wearing his priest clothes when he goes in here so already like that's a that's a common thing we see in um you know in ho- like priests visiting uh, uh hospital wards and hospital rooms and stuff like that mm-hmm. right so i don't know like maybe he didn't want that um, association when he was going to see his mother. Mm-hmm. But then, like, why wear the why why wear the priest clothes? Like, what? Like, uh, unless like maybe that's going to get you in easier. I don't know. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a question, right? Like, when do you use that privilege or not? And they decided mm-hmm. not to. I also right. think you know at, at some place like Bellevue, which is. Um, I don't know the history enough of the real Bellevue of whether mm-hmm. um, whether it's. Like, why is it so poorly portrayed in, in culture? Um, I don't know if it's because it was particularly a bad place. I don't believe mm. so, but I could be wrong. I think that that it was just the the medical, the psychiatric hospital in Manhattan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so it was overwhelmed. There was a lot of people there. And there was a sort of fear that people had of being sent to Bellevue. Yeah. So I think I'm sure part of it is how overwhelmed it was and how there weren't enough uh, spots. But like the fear of it is so big because that, mm-hmm, that was like mm-hmm. the shorthand. And you would see that shorthand in the movies, right? You'd see mm-hmm, like a police officer in a movie saying, if you don't, if you don't wise up and give me what I want, I'm going to send you to Bellevue. And the, right, and the right. so scared of that, right? It was a name that kind of like, lo- it was, it was a name that was famous just, just like in and of itself, right? right? Like Sing Sing in New York. Sing Sing yeah. is the prison upstate at Austining, and then and then there's right. Bellevue, right? Or Alcatraz. Right, yeah, we're going to send you to The Rock. <laughs> yeah. Or hey, like uh, Gehenna, right? Yeah, and yeah, we're going to send you to Gehenna. Exactly, yeah. So um, so I don't know if potentially like Damien, Damien not wanting to name himself as a doctor at Bellevue, because hmm. um, maybe that's something to do with like how how poor of a reputation Bellevue has. Like if I come in as a doctor, then then the thought might be that I'm judging your terrible conditions, you know? Right, right. And then, yeah, that, that might be like a thing. It's like, oh, doctor, we got to, we got to like, you know, have everything above boards and we got to keep secrets, you know, like right. we got to hide, we got to sweep some stuff under the rug. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But no, no. I just need to see what this is as, as a son, right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Whew. Yeah. Some, some heavy, heavy stuff here, folks. Um, but I think, I think that is it for our, our minute. Um, is there anything... You, uh, we missed Keenan? No, I think we got it. 
All right. So, um, oh, yes. Also, folks, um, we, we do have a listener group now um, for the show on Facebook. It's called Compelling Conversations, an Exorcist Minute listener group. It's a private group, but just, uh, you know, request to join and we'll let you in and then you can be in here with us. Uh, and you can uh, talk about the movie and interact with us and, and fellow fans, post questions, um, polls, memes, uh, Captain Howdy cereal box art, just saying, um, whatever. And of course, as always, if you'd like to leave us a message, our email is theexorcistminute at gmail com all one word and we'll be sure to read it um lastly if you like the show and you want to help us out the best thing you can do for a new podcast that's just starting out is to leave us a, a nice five-star review and that'll help other people find us and we can keep uh, growing this cool community so keenan are you thinking what i'm thinking i think i am lester folks until next time the, the power, power of, of uncle titosh compels you You're a terrible son. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. Uh, the earth is warming to two degrees centigrade. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>